Your innocent smile was a forget-me-not in full swing that I fell for last spring, missing the faint fragrance you sent off in the air. I kept growing white hair, but I guess it really doesn't matter now, for on every petal of a blue forget-me-not, I see a smile that I've pined for a lot. Louis Jian, Taiwan Hello and welcome to The Journey, your radio show, hosted by Neville D'Angelo, author of A Soundbite Life and Flight of the Fused Monkeys, a PRG Emerging Technologies Forum keynote speaker and founder of Rio Sports. I am Joseph Ellison. Enjoy! So, why do we write? What is this urge, this compunction, this force that sends us diving deep through the wild currents of our soul to find the ideal collection of words, those perfect puffs of air, the right squiggles of ink, the best interruptions of space on a blank page? What is this thing? Yes, why do we write? What about you? Why do you write? At the author's rung table today are four writers, Samuel Mann, former member of the Diplomatic Corps, a poet, artist, and current member of the Potcar Circle. Brandon L. Jackson, poet, author of The Parts Medicine Can't Reach, and Somewhere Between Logic and Emotion. Earl G. Bell, author of Questions We All Face in Life. And Louis Jian from the National Taiwan Normal University. Pull up a chair. The meal is served. Partake freely. My name is Neville. You are on the journey. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Thank you all for gathering around our virtual table. This is the second session of our Authors Run Table series, during which we'll be privileged to have authors from around the globe, across several genres, best-selling authors, emerging and established authors, authors from publishing houses large and small, along with other writers. Our first session was opened by Canadian sci-fi fantasy author H. Leighton Dixon. Check it out. So why do these good folks write what they write? Better yet, why do you write what you write? <laughs> <laughs> 
Louis Jen from Taiwan said he wrote the short poem Forget Me Not. That's the poem I opened the session with. He wrote it on a summer day, and the only purpose, to quote him, was to practice my poor English. He said he ran across a most charming and innocent smile on a website, and thanks to her smile, he has written several poems. I invited Lewis to read three of his poems, but he implored me to read them for you. I would have much rather you enjoy his accent uh, to read his work. However, as you contemplate the question, why you write, here is another of Lewis's many poems, Goodbye, Mermaid. Just as you are a pretty fish swimming in a tropical paradise in spring, so am I the sentimental evening glow mixing all the gorgeous colors of life in the western sky in autumn. Since it's next to impossible for spring and autumn to get together in real life, it was really an error that we should have known each other. If beauty can't last any longer, than any flower in summer. Why don't we treasure it in our sweet memory until the twelfth of never? Louis Jian So why do they write what they write? Here now is Samuel Mann, former member of the Diplomatic Corps, a Caribbean poet, reaching us from the Canadian shores. Samuel Mann, welcome to our roundtable. Thanks, thanks for um, uh, you know, giving me this opportunity to share one of my poems. The poem I chose to read um, for this occasion is called The Winter of My Poetry. It's uh, not one of my typical poems, but um, uh, uh, I chose it because uh, of the long winter that we have had and which we are now only coming through. Okay, so here goes uh, my poem. When you fell upon me, it was the winter of my poetry, and blizzards of words cascaded from the sky till I was cold and hungry. But the fire in your lips kept the frozen ice caps off my feelings and ushered in the summer of my love for you. That night, you wore a short dress, and it escalated the boiling lava simmering through the veins of my passion. I silently watched you dance your hips across the room, like a belly dancer swaying inside my head. We spoke for hours late into the morning, about everything and about nothing. The gray circles of smoke above our bed reminded us of planets from another universe vying for our unknown destination, while the soft tapping of tablet drums and twanging of sitar strings lifted us gently into the lingerie of the stratosphere. Throughout the evening, your eyes became moist, 
from the pathos of an unhappy tale. But you kept on smiling. And even though you pretended to laugh sometimes, I could still see the glistening reflection on your face. We had found each other at last, and it was neither love at first sight nor any crush at all. But a few years of intellectual nurturing, sudden outbursts of anger, misunderstandings, sharing of intimate thoughts and quiet moments together, being there for each other, never ignoring or overlooking, never unconditional, but reciprocating and complimenting. Our rendezvous was the tipping point of our descent into the volcano of no return, the end game of a calculated foreplay, knowing that an eruption of the heart would be fatal to any union of souls, separated in the transparency of time and space. We parted with a flurry of kisses and hugs before waving goodbye to the dawn of a new day. So why do you think they're right and why do they write exactly what they write? It seems I'm beginning to pick up the sense of a trail. I don't know if you are picking it up too. But why do you write? Here is author of Between Logic and Emotion with one of his most recent poems, As God is My Witness. As God is my witness, I'll never... Settle for a love that is impatient or a love that is unkind. I'll stop trying to find heaven in someone's eyes or compare their touch to an angel's voice because that's how I always fall for imitation. Their embrace will never be my religion. I'll do my best to stop finding refuge in their kisses or believe their words to be prophetic images because they have no weight to them. Instead, they just rain down like fallen angels, and I end up blessed with problems that I never prayed for. As God is my witness, there will be no more Sabbath in their bedroom. I won't fast and pray for missing them while hoping that starving myself from something better will somehow make this work. I promise to not seek salvation in their promises or expect miracles from their hands because those are the same hands that keep me waiting, but... God is my witness. I'm only human. And their smile is as tempting as the tree of good and evil. They bear me fruits of hope. While they promise to never crucify me, I must admit their whispers on my neck felt holy and their arms opened up like pearly gates that let me down golden streets when I was lonely. See, they gave me permission to think that I could walk on water with them. I created worlds in a week with them, rode in chariots and parted skies. I crossed deserts and conquered countries with them. I found Jordan in their tears and Jerusalem in their skin because something about them was just testimonial. And hell didn't scare me when it was tricked into looking beautiful, so convinced that a godlike love could come just as easily from a human. But as God is my witness, I'll never again think that forever can be built from lips or believe that a savior can be born from a bad relationship. From now on, I'll accept real rainbows. 
promising to never drown my world again. And as God is my witness, I'll witness real love and forgive them for hurting me. As I thank them for teaching me to never put my faith in someone who says they can take the loneliness away. But give it to whom can instill the knowledge that love never leaves you alone in the first place. Ah, so why do they write? Why do they write what they write? Just words? I'm sure you've heard it said, words, 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 just words. I could just as easily draw you to current headlines to investigate this question. It is a very important question. Why do you write? Each of you possesses the most powerful, dangerous, and subversive trait that natural selection has ever devised. It's a piece of neural audio technology for rewiring other people's minds. I'm talking about your language, of course, because it allows you to implant a thought from your mind directly into someone else's mind, and they can attempt to do the same to you and without either of you having to perform surgery. Hold it there. Who was that? What did you say? Each of you possesses the most powerful, dangerous, and subversive trait that natural selection has ever devised. It's a piece of neural audio technology for rewiring other people's minds. I'm talking about your language, of course, because it allows you to implant a thought from your mind directly into someone else's mind, and they can attempt to do the same to you and without either of you having to perform surgery. Methinks that guy is onto something. Before I run back to him drooling for more, Let's meet our fourth author at our virtual roundtable today, Earl G. Bell. A first-time author, Earl, originally from Beaumont, Texas, now lives in Dallas. He has three sisters. He'd always enjoyed writing short stories, but when his partner died, he wrote in order to deal with that loss. That writing led to his recently published non-fiction book, Questions We All Face in Life. I asked him to share how and why this particular book. Thank you very much, Neville. After I finished all my writing, I looked at it and I decided, you know, this is something that I need to publish. It's something that others may enjoy reading and uh, may be dealing with the same situation. So this is how it came about. Now, so why particularly do you think that this would be interesting to a broader audience? What specifically about it caused you to think so? The subject matter. Uh, the subject is dealing with so many things most people deal with, which is, say, for instance, the book deals with time, uh, subjects such as time, procrastinating, anger, memories, gratitude, we all deal with those situations, and it also helps you to think about stuff that you don't always think about, but yet you should, it kind of opens your mind, people don't always, we, we think about stuff, but we don't really, it, it don't really, um, 
Are you willing to share something uh, with us so that we could get an example of what you're talking about?
control our anger. It takes it's what takes control of us. The affirmation is there are three times I must remember to keep my mouth closed when swimming, when eating, and when I'm angry. <laughs> Thank you so much. So so now each of your chapters is divided into these topics and each one um, uh, shares this a uh, little bit with an affirmation at the end. Correct. So with a question, it tells you about the story and it is an affirmation. Now who do you are you trying to aim the book at? Who do you want to be reading your book? What most did you learn from writing this book? Oh, I learned a great deal from writing the book. In fact, I even have my own self because some of the subjects are just... Writing, when I wrote the book, I was grieving. I was really just throwing words on paper. But when it really came together, it really just opened my eyes on a lot of things that I was doing, actually. Okay. So do you plan to do any more writing or is this it? encourage you as well and I hope I hope the book does well you are on the journey and it's time for our question of the week if by this uniquely designed non-invasive surgery you can remove and toss into oblivion something of your mind you just do not want probably never wanted what would you toss and what would you replace it with Yes, if, by this uniquely designed non-invasive surgery, you can remove and toss into oblivion something of your mind you just do not want, probably never wanted, what would you toss? And what would you replace it with? Okay, so why do we write? Why do you write? Here is biologist Mark Pigel sharing an intriguing theory. I mean, the world has changed out of all proportion to what we would recognize even a thousand or two thousand years ago. And all of this because of cumulative cultural adaptation. The chairs you're sitting in, the lights in this auditorium, my microphone, the iPads and iPods that you carry around with you, all a result of cumulative cultural adaptation. Now, to many commentators, cumulative cultural adaptation or social learning is job done. End of story. Our species can make stuff 
Therefore, we prospered in a way that no other species has. And in fact, we can even make the stuff of life, as I just said, all the stuff around us. But in fact, it turns out that sometime around 200,000 years ago, when our species first arose and acquired social learning, that this was really the beginning of our story, not the end of our story. Because our acquisition of social learning would create a social and evolutionary dilemma, the resolution of which, it's fair to say, would determine not only the future course of our psychology, but the future course of the entire world. And most importantly for this, it will tell us why we have language. And the reason that dilemma arose is it turns out that social learning is visual theft. If I can learn by watching you, I can steal your best ideas, and I can benefit from your efforts without having to put in the time and energy that you did into developing them. If I can watch which lure you use to catch a fish, or I can watch how you flake your hand axe to make it better, or if I follow you secretly to your mushroom patch, I can benefit from your knowledge and wisdom and skills and maybe even catch that fish before you do. Social learning really is visual theft. And in any species that acquired it, it would behoove you to hide your best ideas lest somebody steal them from you. And so sometime around 200,000 years ago, our species confronted this crisis. And we really had only two options for dealing with the conflicts that visual theft would bring. One of those options was that we could have retreated into small family groups because then the benefits of our ideas and knowledge would flow just to our relatives. Had we chosen this option sometime around 200,000 years ago, we would probably still be living like the Neanderthals were when we first entered Europe 40,000 years ago. And this is because in small groups there are fewer ideas, there are fewer innovations, and small groups are more prone to accidents and bad luck. So if we'd chosen that path, our evolutionary path would have led into the forest and have been a short one indeed. The other option we could choose was to develop the systems of communication that would allow us to share ideas and to cooperate amongst others. Choosing this option would mean that a vastly greater fund of accumulated knowledge and wisdom would become available to any one individual than would ever arise from within an individual family or an individual person on their own. Well, we chose the second option, and language is the result. Language evolved to solve the crisis of visual theft. Language is a piece of social technology for enhancing the benefits of cooperation for reaching agreements, for striking deals, and for coordinating our activities. Aha! That was just to whet your appetite. There is much more. You'll find Mark Pagel's full presentation, How Language Transformed Humanity, on our site, thejourney.riosports.com. That's thejourney.riosports.com. Click on the author's rung table or go to TED.com. Either place, you'll find more about this handy piece of social technology than you and I have. And now we must learn to use it. That's what able authors do. It is game time. 
time to send another of our authors off to that strange but beautiful island far, far away for a decade where nothing of their current world exists. And that is why that author, in this case Earl G. Bell, will be allowed to take only the items of four certain kinds, four, on their journey. Let's find out what he will take with him. You're allowed to take with you one book. Which book will you take and why? I will take a book by Darlene Darlene Bircher. It's called Angel Numbers 101. And I would take that because it has a lot to do with numbers, the meaning of numbers, what numbers in other words, we all look at a clock at one time or another, and it, we keep seeing that same number, 444. You're allowed to take with you, as well, one luxury item. What luxury item will you take with you? Luxury item. Okay, so you carry take a stereo of some type of you. Okay. Your third item that you're allowed to take is one food that you'll get a chance to eat. You'll never get a chance to eat it in another decade. So which food will you take? you will cook or that you will order? <laughs> Where would you be ordering it from? Well, that's true. I, I can't. This is going to be on an island, right? Yeah. Uh-oh, I killed that one then. No, you can still take it with you. It's a, 
you're allowed to take any any meal that you take. You'll get a chance to eat once, and okay, they and well, they will secure it for you. Okay, <laughs> well, then, uh, I would I would have to pick the bed. <laughs> okay, you know. Oh, <laughs> Okay, good. And the fourth item that you're al- allowed to take is a song. Which song will you take with you? It would, I would have to go with Witness, I Will Always Love You. Good. Why? Because I think it's such a beautiful song. It's, it's just very touching and it just, it just says so much. Good. Thank you, Earl. Earl's book is called Questions We All Face in Life by Earl G. Bell. Here's Louis Jan's third poem. It is a sad one. It's called Buried Alive. As long as I keep breathing, I'll never understand your actions so deceiving. You're a spiteful man. Your ego is enormous. Your heart is cold as ice. The love you said you feel, it's all a bunch of lies. I'm the one seeking help to mend this wounded heart. You have damaged me. You tore me apart. You play the victim now, a sorry, full, and bitter man. You have destroyed everything, but you can't begin to understand. So don't tell people that you love me and you'll be there to hold my hand. You're out to hurt me as much as you can. You buried me alive. Your love for me is a lie. Don't come and bring me flowers. Don't visit my grave and cry. Don't tell people how faithful you were to me, for I know the real truth. I was once a beautiful woman who you took away her self-worth. So take your pride and ego and live your fantasy life. You destroyed a loving mother and buried a loving wife. Louis Gian. The Journey is available free on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Rio Sports Radio, and several of your favorite internet platforms. Download, embed, and share via any of the social media you love. Thank you for spending time with us today at the Authors' Roundtable. You, of course, can always listen to us. We're on Stitcher. You can take us wherever you go. And remember, check out The Hunts I Dreamed, now out in audiobook as well. You can find it at iTunes or audible.com or Amazon. Check it out. You'll enjoy it. See you next week.